0: All my time.
1: If you travel Merriman Avenue in Asheville with any regularity, and I certainly do, you probably have a strong opinion about it. The road diet of last fall cut four driving lanes to two, with a center turn lane and new bike lanes on the edges. Hundreds of people have signed an online petition against the changes on Merriman Avenue in Asheville. News 13's Andrew James has the I'm Matt Pykin, and today on The Overlook, I talk with Mike Sewell, the founding director of Asheville on Bikes. Some people hail the lobbying he and his group did to bring the road diet forward. Others left fuming in midday single-lane traffic jams likely
0: hold a different view of Sewell's efforts. I understand, well, I'll say like resentment from motorists as a result of my work. I do not view it as adversarial. Our work is really about creating great streets for a great city.
1: Mike Sewell of Asheville on Bikes talks about his path to bike advocacy and the fight he's waging to make Asheville a more livable city. We'll get to my conversation in just a moment, but I first want you to meet Jennifer Goodyear of Davidia Realty. You can't have a better advocate when you're house hunting. And I can tell you this because Jennifer stuck with me for the five months it took to find my Asheville house four years ago. Jennifer is known to go the extra mile and the extra crawl space to save her clients time and money. I go through a house with an inspector's eye. crawl into the crawl space, I look at things that are going to show up on a home inspection that might be big issues, and having that upfront knowledge of what you're getting into really helps you understand what might be negotiable, what might not be negotiable during the transaction. What I tell my clients is, I wouldn't put you in a home that I wouldn't buy myself. In this competitive home buying market, reach out to Jennifer at Davidia Realty to help give you the edge. Go to Davidia Realty, that's D-I-V-I-T-I-A Realty dot com. About a decade ago, Mike Sewell was a school teacher who went through a sad breakup. He decided to process the loss by selling his car and committing to get around Asheville for a year solely on bike. I started our conversation by asking him what he learned about Asheville during his year on two
0: wheels. The one thing that I learned right off the bat was small significant neighborhood connectivities, like uh, slow street connectivities. And we have hundreds of them. So that was the main thing that I was like, and every day you're like out in a new neighborhood, you're riding or Ashville's a beautiful city and to experience it daily at 10 to 12 miles an hour is, uh, uh, you know, you really get into the details of the bones of our city. And so that, that was an amazing experience. And then I also saw the lack of connectivity and you know, the, the dangerous and, and hazardous conditions.
1: When did it become something that the voids that you noticed, the absences that you noticed in this city, when did it, would it become something you wanted to address?
0: In riding for a year after I sold my car, I had ended up just like saving over $10,000. You know, right. I no car payment, no insurance, no gas, all of those things. And my buddy Blue started talking He's like, hey, let's do like a proper bike tour. We'll get some gear and we'll do a loop through Oregon. And so, yes, Portland is is, is absolutely really connected. And that really opened my eyes in terms of like, again, slow neighborhood street, into a bike lane, onto a greenway, you know, and it's all like patchwork together, but it it does work. And then also like other towns experiencing Eugene and uh, Bend, Oregon, who had the same connectivity. And that was the inception of like, like, okay, Asheville can be connected. It's not yet, but it absolutely can be. And my goal coming back from that summer was like, I'm going to, I'm going to work to be a vessel of change. How did you begin taking on the role of an advocate for cycling in this town? What was square one for you? Well, square one was I had a lot of help. I had a colleague at Evergreen Community Charter School where we, uh, where we taught uh, Rachel Reeser. She was a, ended up being one of the co-founders of the organization. And also a woman, Marty Gallagher, who used to be uh, pro bikes on, on Haywood Road. And so Marty, Rachel, and myself sort of started scratching our head. Um, about this. I met with Claudia Nix, who is the founder. And at that time, she was the president of the Blue Ridge Bicycle Club, which was a well-established bicycle advocacy organization at a bike lane cleanup. And she invited me to start participating in the city's bicycle and pedestrian task force. So there was like a, already sort of a, a group, but really the thing that kind of the galvanizing thing was my good friend, Sarah Wydenhouse was going to be the director of the asheville holiday parade and she said to me hey like why don't you get a bunch of people together on bikes and do like sort of a, a bicycle event parade entry for the asheville uh, holiday parade and that sounded like fun and was kind of like a social mixer and we won best use of theme the theme was holidays in the mountain and our theme was every day's a holiday on a bicycle We want $250 and that was the seed money for the beginning of the organization. Then we sort of had some agency in the cycling community, uh, some recognition, you know, like those goof-offs want $250. That's really kind of crazy and yet
1: also very Asheville, you know, kind of very organic start to this. When did it become true advocacy work? When did it become lobbying and actually citing specific needs and policy positions
0: that you wanted to see pushed forward at the city and county level. Right. So then we started like, what are we doing next? And to answer your question, we started to build up a tremendous amount of, or a significant amount of uh, social capital. The name Asheville on Bikes was kind of getting out there. We had these like pamphlets. We would do these different rides. We had a a listserv. We were getting on uh, Facebook. So people started paying attention and uh, at the same time that we were doing all this social stuff, I was really invested in attending the bike task force meetings on the regular. The city was going through its bicycle comprehensive plan for the first time, so I got really active in that, and that really helped me uh, understand the issues. Um, but one of the th- significant things that, that, that really happened was Jeremy Johnson, who I did not know He worked at uh, Walmart and he was killed on his bicycle at the intersection of New Hawk Creek Road and 70, which was an intersection that I crossed every morning going to work and then coming back. And that was one of the deadly, hazardous conditions. And riding across where a cyclist was killed, you know, you sort of embrace your own mortality and that really for me was a catalyst of like okay you know we can have rolling parties and have a good time but we really need to take this political or this social capital that we have this community and we really need to invest it into becoming vehicles of change so sort of two things were happening there was fun and frolic um, and then there was also sort of my personal dive into the issues and then my connection with the potential like the consequence of doing nothing you mentioned the city had just developed a comprehensive plan for cycling. Did you at the time
1: see an overlap of priorities and policies in that plan? Did you think the city was serious in this plan? What did you see in that initial plan that mirrored up with what you wanted to do right. and, or maybe didn't go as far as what you wanted to see happen?
0: Yeah, well, at that time, you know, I was really learning about transportation policy, active transportation. So I, you know, I, I didn't know as much as I know I know now. And there was definitely stakes with that bicycle comprehensive plan. It was not guaranteed that it was going to pass city council, right? The the, the staff would do the work and they would bring it to city council. And then for it to be adopted, it uh, required a city council vote. And we set up like 15 minute sort of check-in sections with each member of council. And it was sort of our first... My first really like lobbying to get council members on board. And I found that process really exciting. Uh, Having stakes, this thing is uncertain. It's not going to pass. We really need this. Going through that process, again, it was another thing that like uh, lit a fire in me. And it was another like, turn toward the light, (laughs) scale towards the light. So we just went in that direction. And then after it was passed it was about seeing that it get implemented. So the, so, so the work uh, began to change. Okay, we passed this comprehensive plan. Now, what are the incremental steps to see it implemented in our city? And from there on, I really stayed engaged in the task force, the commissions, the city council, and uh, really follow how things, how things move.
1: I want to find out where you started to see effectiveness from your own or Asheville on Bikes lobbying efforts in terms of shaping how the city's comprehensive plan on cycling took place and has
0: taken shape on our streets. Yes, okay, so the first big win, there are two things. The first thing that went in was the row markings that are still there today on South French Broad. That was the first implementation of uh, the comprehensive plan. Secondly, The next thing that was going to be was to be done was to run a bicycle lane on Klingman to Hilliard Avenue. At the time, there were people on the corridor that wanted to see that the bike lane stopped before the intersection because there were some like uh, design considerations. It would be a challenge to on-street parking. Nothing that couldn't be resolved, uh, but in my view, it would just take extra effort. Uh, to get it done. I was able to uh, point to the bicycle comprehensive plan and show that 70% of collisions between cyclists and motorists happen at intersections. So if we know this and we know that running the bike lane to the, to the, to the light is proven to decrease those, are we committed or are we not? And what answers were you
1: hearing from city council and what pushback, if any, did you get from
0: citizens who spoke up at meetings where you were also speaking up? It was really the first time that I worked with Mayor uh, Esther Mannheimer and I, you know, sent her an email and I presented the problem. And at that time she was, I I believe she was just seated as as a council person. She wasn't the mayor yet. And she went and asked the staff to come out, and we and, and some of the detractors, and uh, we met at the intersection, and it was the issue was resolved um, when people were presented with the the information, and the comprehensive plan and the solution, the sort of resistance to extending the bike lane, the, the intersection kind of mellowed. You know that was really informative inform- to me uh, as well. It's sort of. If you're going to advocate, when Asheville on Bikes, when I advocate for something, there are a thousand checks and balances that happen internally in the organization that this is the right decision.
1: Talk about that a little more. So you don't just advocate for what comes to mind. What are some of these checks and balances that you and your organization go through before bringing forth
0: a policy position or some specific change in infrastructure you want to see happen. The city's established plans are the place to start. What has our community committed itself to through these comprehensive plans and uh, so forth? And then I am so thankful that I have a committed uh, policy committee. So that's sort of the meat grinder. That's where a lot of the ideas are kicked around. Should we do this? Should we do because you can pick any intersection in Asheville, any street, and there's a there's a need for humane, safe conditions. But not every campaign is the right one. Not everyone is winnable. Um, And you really have to uh, develop a strategy. So I have the benefit of working with committed volunteers who scrutinize and are uh, critical of the organization's and its ambitions. And out of like the five things that we could potentially advocate for, it's a matter of just like picking that one.
1: Let's talk about that because obviously there's a lot of political considerations. You just said what's winnable. So what makes something in your line winnable? and what give me an example of uh, something you might have advocated for that you did not or at least have not yet because you and your and your sure. committee yeah.
0: determined that it wasn't winnable? One of the things that we're working with right now is Haywood Street in West Asheville is coming up for a resurfacing project uh, like Merriman. A resurfacing project is akin to a homeowner repainting their house, right? It's, it's scheduled maintenance from uh, the Department of, of, of Transportation, NCDOT, as was Merriman. And whether there's going to be any kind of road reconfiguration or any kind of improvement, the old asphalt is coming up new asphalt is going down, and fresh paint is being applied to that streetscape. That's a road, a road resurfacing project in a nutshell. Haywood Road, there's an opportunity right now to sort of reconfigure the streetscape, curb to curb. So you're not, we're not pouring new sidewalks, uh, we're not taking out the telephone poles, it's just curb to curb, basically the streetscape. So there's an opportunity to make it a more active transportation corridor, which it really wants to be. So the issue of bike lanes on Haywood Road came up. Do we advocate for the inclusion of bike lanes from the beginning of the corridor to the end of the corridor? And we looked at it and our analysis was like, no, that's not actually the proper treatment. And I know people, yeah, people get shocked. They're like, what? Now that doesn't mean that we, you can't make it work for cyclists and that we cannot include types of bicycle facilities, but, The real win for Haywood Road is to make it work for pedestrians because if we calm traffic and we make it slow, you make it 20 miles an hour, then a share road condition is an appropriate treatment for cyclists. So instead of advocating for dedicated bicycle lanes from one side of the corridor to the other, we took in more nuance, like, hey, how about elevated crosswalks? What about traffic calming, making sure that the street is designed not for 25 mile an hour traffic, but for 20 mile an hour traffic. And by calming traffic, we make it work for pedestrians. And then therefore, if it works for pedestrians, it works for cyclists as well.
1: You might know me for the stories I produced for Asheville's public radio station, and I'm thrilled to have you listening to The Overlook. Now I can help tell the story of your business or nonprofit through a podcast. A narrative series or ongoing show is a unique way to shape the public's understanding of your work and impact in the community. I also help independent podcasters launch or boost their own shows. Find out more through my production company, Podcast Asheville, at podavl.com. One of the reasons that I want to talk with you today is because of what's happened on Merriman Avenue, the changes there. Yeah. And I look, all you have to do, I'm sure you, you look on the Facebook pages like of Asheville Politics, people are vilifying Asheville and bikes as taking care of the few at the expense of
0: the many, yes. meaning the yeah. drivers. And I wanted you to respond to that just on the surface of that criticism. I understand, I mean, I've, it's like right in front of me, right? I understand, well, I'll say like resentment uh, from motorists as a result of my work. I do not view it as adversarial. Our work is really about creating great streets for a great city. And every, you know, any great city has great streets. And we really have an opportunity to make Asheville have some great streets. Looking at the Merriman corridor, you know, again, the, arguably, the, the mode that benefits the least from that reconfiguration is the cyclists.
1: How do you I'm see right. a cyclist okay.
0: being the least um, well, me, benefited yeah, by that? Me, um, Merriman Avenue has it was 150% more collisions, that's motorists, than any street like it in the state of North Carolina. So by calming the traffic, uh, that's the value proposition that we put forward to the city, is a safer condition for all the modes worth a three minute increased travel time at peak hours. If you look at every, everything that we wrote about and published, it was really about the safer conditions for all, and the and, and the safest conditions for motorists. Now, change is hard, uh, so forth. Now, I also talked that Asheville the cyclists were the third, the second, and I want to be really clear. Th- this is about able-bodied uh, pedestrians, because the the, the existing conditions on Merriman sidewalks are uh, inhumane and they are they are not ADA compliant and they only work for those who are able-bodied. That said, for able-bodied condition, that four foot, four to five foot buffer calms traffic for the people who are navigating. And then of course, yes, the bike lane does accommodate cyclists as well. And so going back to like, you know, is it winnable? Is it, you know, I, you will hear everyone from national on Bikes, you will hear me say, I'll say it right now, is that road reconfiguration is the first step of many more that need to happen in order to make that what it really wants to be, which is a mainstream type corridor of the city. And so why wait to do that? If we can use a resurfacing project, repainting the house and, and we can realign it, then we should do it. Now,
1: I I will say this. Labeling it as akin to a a resurf, as a repainting isn't quite accurate to what's happened on Merriman. I mean, it's like almost reconfiguring the driveway for one car instead of two. You know, there is a restructuring to the street, to the traffic flow. And I'm not saying that as a criticism, I'm just saying that as
0: an objective change to what's happened. absolutely right, I take your point. We did reconfigure the road. It is called reconfiguration. But, you know, you might have an older house and you're gonna repaint it. And that's not to say that the plumbing doesn't need work, the electrical doesn't need work, the bathrooms don't. Those are all larger, expensive investments, but you can do general maintenance and repaint the house. And that's, that's where we come in a lot with our reconfigurations and support for bicycle lanes. Quite literally, it is uh, the highest return on the investment for all the modes to implement, to, re, to restructure a streetscape to accommodate bicycles benefits everyone. That is often lost in the chatter that you see on actual politics and so forth. What do you think of how the changes have actually played out in day-to-day traffic and livability of Merriman? I mean, I, I was on there yesterday as, as a motorist, I do drive, uh, and it was great. What time was I out there, two o'clock? So I do think that I feel confident that it's going to be absorbed by the by the community. I've already noticed on Nextdoor and all the platforms, a lot of the Merriman stuff has kind of calmed down. Change is hard, and that that was a big change for a lot of people. I I, I acknowledge that. But it I feel like it is being absorbed and you know, the data is going to tell us, you know, it's going to direct our, our, our future decisions. I'm confident that the da- data is going to show a decline in collisions that through traffic speed or not speeds, but time, three to five minute delays at peak will become the new normal and that this will be absorbed into our city. I wanted to ask you about the bike lanes on Cox Avenue. I thought a number of
1: cities have done it in the way that that has been done. But also from my observation, observation is not data. Yeah, I recognize that. But I don't ever see, not only do I not see cyclists using Cox, but cars have started to ignore the bike. At first when it came in, people were honoring that bike lane as a space. They kept that clear. Now people are just parking in those, in that bike lane now because they have seen that bikes are not using it. And it, well, again, it's observational. And when I go to Tracy Morgan Gallery or other places on, on Cox,
0: I almost always see people parking in that lane. There's been a lot of confusion. So number one, you know, if you, again, the Cox Avenue project was designed to be a temporary project. So in for a year and then to have it removed. And it was there in partnership with the city to sort of uh, inform future fixed, because that whole corridor is being redesigned. So a couple things to that. Number one, that's not a bike lane. That's a multi-use path. So you will see, especially on weekends in in South Asheville and so forth, you have lots of pedestrians using that space. Again, that treatment resulted in a... 30% 30% reduction in, ve- in, in vehicular speeds through the corridor. So again, like uh, adding stop signs, adding crosswalks, creating a sidewalk extension or multi-use, so that's for bikes and pedestrians. It demonstrated to create a safer condition for the corridor. Additionally, you know, I hear this all the time, that's often a criticism. No one's using the bike lane, no one. Well, number one, a bicyclist doesn't look like an automobile. So it's like, there's a reason that we kill and injure more cyclists than anyone else is because people aren't paying attention to cyclists. But additionally, the Flying Bicycle, which runs a bicycle shop and tour company, open their doors at the base of uh, Cox Avenue. And that group uses that corridor every day, uh, multiple times a day. So cyclists are there. I want to talk with you about Riverside and
1: the changes in RAD, and I think if anybody is seeing, like, real changes to bike culture, I guess they're kind of illustrated there. There seem to be a lot more cyclists who are recreational and using that. And I'm wondering, when's this going to get longer? It's just such a short stretch. What do you think is the realistic timeline for having a
0: bike path from from there to Weaverville um, right, that's right. been talked about? What what do
1: you see happening there?
0: Yeah, so if you go to our website, um, we have a plan. Uh, well, it's not our plan, but we, we we have been the entity that is published most about. It's called the Hellbender Trail trail plan and its regional connectivity.
1: And let's be clear about the Hellbender. So this is a multi-city throughout Western North Carolina trail network that would patch together existing trail systems, right? So from Waynesville, Brevard,
0: Weaverville, Asheville, where else uh, am am I missing a city there? It'll go into Black Mountain. And then from Black Mountain, you will connect to the Acusta Trail and you will be on your way to Old Fort. So what's the timeline? Are we waiting for funding? Is it a political issue? Right. So, what, what's yeah, going on okay. there? So yeah, I, it's like, for me, it's never a matter of time. It's a matter of political will and funding. Those are, that's, that sets the timeline. So to bring it back to the rad tip, the rad tip terminates at Amboy Road. And I will say that like, there's a greenway and there's a protected bike lane. That protected bike lane is a result of Asheville on Bikes advocacy work that was not initially planned for that project. And it was only gonna be a traditional bike lane. That whole project is not ours. I'm not taking responsibility for that. But the advocacy work that got that protected bike lane is a direct result of Asheville on Bikes advocacy. Yes, it does need to expand. Just recently, the city of Asheville has received funding through the TDA. So from Amboy, the Amboy Bridge to the Nature Center, Um, That's called the Swananoa Greenway Project. Um, That just received a tremendous amount of funding through the TDA. The state is also looking at it because if you look at like uh, Swananoa River Road and Thompson Street, and the river runs right, 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 you know, that that is one weather event from (laughs) failure. But that is the backbone for the Hellbender Trail the river building and the river uh, corridor. So, Astral on Bikes and our friends at Connect Buncombe County Greenways, they're the advocates in the Blue Ridge Bicycle Club. We're working diligently. We really need to get support at the county level to invest in that project as well. I think a lot of people, at least when I, when I read criticisms,
1: just in general, about uh, changes that favor multimodal transportation, bikes and otherwise, they read that as at the expense of motorized traffic and a lot of people here say hey get real we're this is 2022 we're a car based society i'm wondering if that is part of a culture that you know you and your organization know you
0: have to have to actively overcome over the long haul everything's a cultural issue right what's that uh culture eats policy for lunch or whatever that. that, um, So it absolutely is. But the thing is, is like more and more, I mean, you know, you'd say, yes, we are a uh, car dominated culture. Well, the past uh, two years, some of us would argue we're a Zoom dominated culture. The nature of work is changing. We are not the same city that we were 20 years ago. Um, There's a lot more infill that are are happening. We're becoming uh, a dense. And if we're looking for solutions, if building more facilities for the exclusive use of motorists was the solution, LA and Atlanta would be the models of success. And they are not. So it's not that we are designing exclusively for bicycles all the time. I mean, if we're doing like a dedicated greenway, okay. But even then that's multi-use. That's someone who's rolling in a wheelchair or walking a dog or so. The world is changing. We're a more technological place. Affordability. People can't afford to own automobiles and drive into Asheville, as evidenced by the county just creating those 150 spaces for reduced, yes. And uh, do we need to invest in regional transportation? Absolutely. Do we need to invest in uh, sidewalks? Absolutely. We are for all of that. But we have identified that the place to start is the streetscape. And highest return on the dollar is to create bike facilities.
1: Last thing I guess I'll ask you is, what
0: is on your front burner now? What's the next thing you're really fighting and advocating for? I'll tell you, the thing that I am really excited about is the Asheville Unpaved initiative that we're working with the city. One of the things that we not really known for, but we've we've been running a, a youth cycling program for over 10 years. And our program is focused on getting the students in our community on bikes who are least likely to have access to them. We work with the Asheville City Schools Foundation, Asheville Middle for an after-school bike program, Youth Transformed for Life in the summers. Um, and we've done some work with My Daddy Taught Me That. And one of the things that we've noticed in our years of work in youth cycling is that like we're living right here in Western North Carolina, mountain bike Mecca. People come from all over the world to ride uh, mountain bikes in our area and the students that we serve are living right in the center of it and have the least amount of access to it so there's all of these proximity issues I mean it's, it's a complicated thing the number one thing that we could do is to create facilities through nature right in the heart of downtown and so soon if you're running or walking or riding a bike you're going to be able to be in the river arts district and make a right turn and up into uh, a wooded area of the city there will be some dedicated single track trails there will be some but most of it is going to be multi-use the bird watchers the bench sitters the dog walkers the trail runners so the actual unpaved initiative it's a uh, program between Connect Buncombe, Pisgah Area Sorba, managed by Ashwalon Bikes, and in partnership with the city. So trail access right in the heart of downtown is gonna be something that no other system offers in Western North Carolina, and we're gonna be the first to do it. Thank you to Mike Sewell of Asheville on Bikes for
1: spending time with me for this episode of The Overlook. The Asheville band, The Resonant Rogues, has been so kind to let us use their tune, Maker's Song, as our theme music. Find out everything they're up to at resonantrogues.com. There are new episodes of The Overlook every Monday through Thursday with a special audio residency happening on Fridays with Story Parlor of West Asheville. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are online 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday. Please follow for free on your favorite podcasting app. I'm Matt Pikin and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.